I'm Roger Baker, Executive Director of the Stratfor Center for Applied Geopolitics at RAIN, a global center of excellence for geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Learn how you can put geopolitics to work for your organization at RAINnetwork.com. Welcome to RAIN's Essential Geopolitics Podcast. My name is Emma Kami, and I'll be your host today. Cyprus is pushing for a resumption of negotiations with Turkey for a settlement on the divided island, seeking to capitalize on recent momentum towards a rapprochement between the EU and Ankara. The main idea is to link a potential revival of Turkey's EU accession process, which President Recep Tayyip Erdogan asked in exchange for lifting his veto on Sweden joining NATO to substantial progress in talks for an eventual future reunification of Cyprus, which has long been divided into two Greek and Turkish Cypriot entities. Although both sides seem willing to resume negotiations, significant constraints will have to be addressed before a solution can be achieved. Here to discuss this is Matteo Alardo, a Europe analyst at Rain. Welcome, Matteo. Hi, Emma. So to start off with, um, what is kind of like the situation in Cyprus? Uh, can you give us a quick recap of the history of the conflict up to this point? Sure. So uh, Cyprus is uh, divided into two entities. Uh, as you said, a Greek Cypriot state in the south, the one officially recognized as the legitimate sovereign on the island by the international community, uh, and a Turkish Cypriot entity in the north that is only recognized by, by Turkey both of which have their capital in uh, Nicosia, which is effectively the last remaining divided capital in, in the world as of now. Um, so why is an EU member state? Because Cyprus became a fully-fledged member state in 2004. So why is a EU member state under such a very particular situation still? Um, so how did we get here in the first place? Cyprus gained independence from uh, British rule in uh, 1960 after which basically years of ethnic divisions between uh, the two communities, the Greek and the Turkish one, escalated in 1974 due to various uh, different uh, political aspirations, ethnic divisions, etc. And uh, basically in 1974 we had a brief coup d'etat by, uh, orchestrated by, by Greece uh, with the intent of annexing Cyprus to the rest of the country. And, uh, and this triggered an invasion from Turkish troops, which occupied about a third of the island and created the de facto Turkish um, Cypriot independent state that still today uh, holds the north of, of the island. Um, as a result, the United Nations intervened, create, uh, creating a buffer zone that still today separates the, the Greek and Turkish community, communities and, and effectively divides the island in two. Um, so over the years we, we did have various uh, attempts at solving the issue under UN-led negotiations, but none was ever successful in producing um, a resolution. And in 2017, effectively, negotiations uh, broke down altogether. Uh, the latest EU initiative, the one in 2017, specifically died out uh, basically due to fundamental disagreements across the board. The two sides really didn't agree on, on, on anything, um, starting from the very complex matter, matter of security guarantees, with uh, Turkey basically insisting on keeping a military presence on the island, uh, whereas the, the, the Greek side wanted a complete withdrawal, 
Um, on top of this, we, we had other fundamental disagreements over territory governance, property rights, reparations, and all that. All, all those things that two sides need to sort out before a conflict resolution, which was never sorted out. So finally, and, and perhaps most importantly, um, they, the two sides couldn't even agree on what a united Cyprus would have to look like in, in terms of, uh, of a new uh, sovereign entity. The, um, the UN framework uh, pushed for a bizonal, bicommunal, uh, so to say, federation, whereas um, the Turkish side and Turkey wanted uh, and still wants uh, two-state solutions. So basically having the Turkish side recognized as a legitimate um, state by the international community, not just like today only recognized by Turkey. So if on top of this we add a general lack of trust, um, relatively unsupportive public sentiment on, on both sides of the island, which is even all further complicated by you know the complex regional geopolitical dynamics that we all know, uh, with continued tensions between the Greece uh, between Greece and Turkey, in the Aegean Sea, in the Eastern Mediterranean, uh, then it's clear why we are in, still in a situation in which finding a solution seems virtually impossible. Right, that seems very very complicated. Um, and so what is Cyprus asking for exactly now and why is this a good time to start negotiations? So most recently Cyprus, and by this I mean the officially recognized government of Cyprus obviously, um, came out with this proposal that to be honest is not even a new thing per se, but the proposal to have a special EU representative appointed for negotiations on uh, concerning the island as a way to revamp talks and uh, that, that those that were interrupted six years ago to pick up from the 2017 UN-led uh, framework. The ultimate goal clearly here being to, to land uh, a settlement deal for the unification of the island or at the minimum to at least start talking again. Um, as for why now after six years of completely fro frozen progress, uh, well, new momentum has been building on a um, rapprochement, if you will, between uh, the UK and Turkey after, as he said, Erdogan very surprisingly, I would say, demanded to revive stalled EU accession talks for Turkey, um, which have been frozen again since 2016, uh, in exchange for lifting uh, a veto on Sweden, an EU member, um, to join NATO a few weeks ago. So the idea basically here would be to use uh, an eventual Turkish EU membership as a potentially very strong incentive for Ankara to give up on some of those entrenched positions on Cyprus that led to the breakdown in negotiations six years ago. On top of this, the situation for negotiations uh, to, to resume is simply just better. Now we had elections in Turkey, in Greece, in, in Cyprus, all over the course of a, of a few months uh, last this year, in the, the first half of the year, which does somewhat offer uh, this unique uh, window, uh, this opportunity um, for negotiations to resume, because some of the political constraints that normally complicate negotiations of this kind are now gone, simply because no one will have to worry about a new election uh, for, a, for a while, you know, and like uh, going back to the negotiating table can be a complicated political issue. So with that gun uh, and with Turkey's EU membership offering a very good incentive for Ankara to smooth some of its position, 
um, then we have the, the timing and the right environment to resume negotiations. So we just have a more positive climate here. As I said, the idea to have a more actively involved EU into the negotiating process is a new per se. It was already proposed in 2020, but Turkey rejected it back then, uh, considering basically the EU as an inherently biased uh, interlocutor, having both Greece and Cyprus among its member states. And, and I would say um, uh, that, that makes some, some sense, but now the political will to at least start talking again seems to be strong on both sides, and in this the EU would be central as basically wouldn't just be a, a broker for negotiations for Turkey, it would also become the eventual final price with the, with the membership for Turkey. Right. So you're saying that now that kind of elections are out of the way um, and both sides very kind of clearly have something they want to gain, the time is kind of right for, for negotiations to re-begin? Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly it. And then what is the outlook? So what does the EU-Turkey rapprochement mean and can it lead to a solution on Cyprus? So let's let's be clear in answering this question. Let's say this up front. The, the prospect for Turkey joining the EU are actually very slim and aren't going to improve anytime soon. First of all, but, but then I'll get to, to the positive bit here. But first of all, the issues that, that led to an interruption of accession talks for Turkey in 2016 are still very much there. And I'm talking about all the various concerns over human rights violations, uh, a, de a deterioration in the rule of law, particularly after the attempted coup in Turkey in 2016, which was followed by uh, purges from the Erdogan's government and uh, uh, general crackdown on political dissent in Turkey. And in general, the overall, the underlying tensions with Greece that we were talking about earlier. So, um, secondly, let, let's keep in mind that an eventual Turkish EU membership would require unanimous, unanimous approval by all EU member states. Now, let's assume that accession talks are indeed linked to a settlement in Cyprus. And because of that, Greece and Cyprus decide to leave their usual vetoes against Turkey becoming an EU member. Still, we would need all other EU countries that, let's be honest, car care very little about Cyprus um, to also be on board with that. So, besides all the problems related to human rights, rule of law and whatnot, the main obstacle to a Turkish EU, EU membership is very much a political one. Turkey, let's not forget, is a country of 80 million people and it is a Muslim-majority country. So, let's face it, this was an uphill battle already 10 years ago, let alone now in the current political climate in Europe with uh, right-wing nationalist parties growing in popularity basically everywhere and, and even entering in, in governments in a lot of key countries. We saw that in Italy, in Finland, in Sweden, something like that is happening in Spain, depending on government formation stock uh, talks will, will evolve. So uh, clearly, in terms of EU accession for Turkey, we aren't doing much better now than we were in 2016. So we see how a Turkish membership remains very unlikely in this context, at least in the foreseeable future, and, and with it, therefore, a solution to the Cyprus issue, given how, as we were saying, the negotiation, uh, the positions in negotiations uh, of both the Greek and Turkish sides in Cyprus remain very far apart on a number of key issues, and if there was something that could ever break the stalemate this was indeed significant concessions on the part of Turkey 
in exchange for serious prospects for a new membership. Having said that, and here comes the positive bit, uh, Turkey and, and the EU still have strong mutual incentives in, in re-engaging in some way and increasing cooperation to some extent to some extent in the economic and geopolitical context that emerged from the pandemic and now from the war in Ukraine, etc. So progress is possible indeed on, on key economic issues, uh, such as, let me name a few, visa liberalization or greater access for Ankara to the EU customs union, and, and even an extension to the controversial migration management deal that basically sees the EU giving money to Turkey to hold in um, Syrian uh, Syrian refugees, but that means a lot of money for for Ankara, and this all is is particularly true because Turkey desperately wants to um, boost trade ties with the EU and attract foreign investors into the country, as it still very much deals with uh, with an economic crisis that is really not improving much uh, despite all efforts. So while this is not probably going to be enough for Turkey to give up on Cyprus, at least an attempt to revive negotiations is definitely on the table. And while this would probably not lead to a, to a reunification anytime soon, it would at least create the premise for increased cooperation between the Greek and Turkish communities on the island, which would be very extremely beneficial for, for everyone involved on the island. And this this is a place, let's not forget, that would have strong potential as a tourist destination. Cyprus has rich offshore natural gas resources, neither of which has been exploited to their full potential, uh, especially gas reserves, because of the territorial dispute. So if we have um, uh, increased cooperation and, uh, and we have uh, a resumption of negotiations, we have some... Uh, um, some economic relations built between the two sides, um, then uh, then we clearly can have an economic incentives and, and economic benefits for both sides. This could help de-escalate tensions in and around the island and create mutually beneficial economic opportunities, even if a reunification or any other sort of permanent settlement remains far away. Can you provide a little bit of... Um kind of a timeline for uh, any um, updates on this? Um, like when can our listeners expect uh, an update on the outlook for this kind of evolving situation? So that's a good question. We are monitoring the situation, so I invite all our listeners to keep following our publications on Worldview, our platform online, uh, where you can access our analysis. We'll publish a short assessment on this story over the next few days. As for the outlook of negotiations or whether we could see something materializing, that's hard to say. Um, the, um, the Commission, I mean, the, the European Union, the EU Council, so member states have already discussed the issue, but a proposal, a formal proposal for um, what Cyprus is asking for, basically a direct EU involvement in negotiations, has yet to be formulated at the EU level. So it will take time, but I think both sides are um, definitely willing to, to increase um, relations, both Turkey and the EU. Cyprus clearly is the one pushing the most to have, uh, uh, to have the territorial dispute thrown on the table as a as, uh, big part of the agenda. 
So I would imagine over the next few months we start already, we, we can start seeing where this is all going and we may start having an idea whether actually these drivers that we just enumerated could actually lead to some positive outcome for the island. Well, thank you, Matteo. I'm sure we'll be hearing much more about this as the negotiations continue to unfold. You can learn how geopolitical events like this could affect your business with Rain Worldview, as Matteo mentioned. Our flagship risk intelligence products provide clients with access to the insights and analyses they need to make more informed decisions and drive better risk management outcomes. Sign up at rainnetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E network.com. I'm Emma Kami. Thanks for listening. Thank you.